This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to be joined on Football CFB by Darren McAnthony, who is the chairman and owner of Peterborough United. He is not shy in giving his opinions on a range of subjects, which is something that I think fans uh, do respect of, of owners, especially when you look at some of the, the bigger clubs in, in the Premier League who maybe don't hear from their fans. So, Dara, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Absolute pleasure, pal. It's been a long time in the, in the making, so uh, glad, to, to, glad to do it with you. And a uh, big fan of yourself and uh, Phil's work. And, uh, you know, obviously sending my regards out there in sunny California whenever you chat with them next. I will do. Um, the first question I've got for you, it might come across as very simplistic, but it's something that I think is important. Lots of um, football fans play football manager, they play video games, and I think they all think, if I could run my football club for a week, it would be very easy. What are the biggest challenges of owning and running a football club that fans maybe aren't aware of? That's, that's, that's a brilliant question. And we all look, when I was in my, you know, teens and twenties, dreamt of owning Liverpool and, you know, you, know, you dream, you know, and without dreaming, well, what's the point in living? And, you know, you always ascertain to have more and more in life. And, you know, the one thing I'd say is as a fan, you know, the things you're not used to dealing with, like I've just had a phone call off the secretary of the club, you know, the previous opponent had a COVID outbreak. We have to test all the players and staff. Then you're waiting to find out, geez, you know, is everyone all right? Are we going to miss a game this weekend? No, everything's fine. And then we get a heads up that our next opponent, Reading at home, have shut down their game this weekend. And our game and Boxing Day could be an issue. You know, you're suddenly like, oh, God almighty. Now you're scrambling, you know, and you're thinking Boxing Day, Christmas fixture, you know, all the things, you know, you think as a football a championship manager and I play the game, oh, this is really easy, you know, you offer contracts, you do deals, you pick a team, did it there. There's so much more that goes into it. I wish it was just about that. You know, forget the football for a second. There's just so much more outside of just the football team and the transfers and all of that that goes into a football club. And it's a community. You've got a fan base, you know, and your fan base really are your bosses, you know, and, and, and rightly so, because the fans are going to be there long after you're gone. And, and, on Saturday, I got a reminder. I invited a lady and her mom to come to the game to sit in the director's box. Her mom is 92. She's been a posh fan since they, the day they started. And, you, you know, to see the joy in her face and everything else, it's, um, yeah, priceless, absolutely priceless. And no doubt everything she's been through the last two years, worried about COVID and not being able to go. And when you get into your 90s, you're probably thinking, fuck me, any more of this lockdown stuff, I won't be able to go see a football game again or see my family again. And she was one of them balls to the wall, like, no, I, I want to go see my football team play. So um, it's not for the faint-hearted pal, buying a football club. Um, it's a great way, you know, if you want to become a millionaire after being a multimillionaire, buy a football club. This is a great way of going that way. Um, however, the joy in it is unbelievable. When it's good, it's great. Um, and, you know, there's highs and lows, there's winning and losing. But I'm very privileged, very fortunate to be in a position to be involved in an industry, particularly in a league where there's only 72 clubs. You know, okay, you got your 20 in the Premier League, you got non-league, but 
in our leagues, there are 72 clubs and I'm lucky to be one of 72 owners. So that's a real privilege and, and you know, blessed, you know, but a big man upstairs to be in a position to be in football so long. And, you know, 15 years is a long old time in football, you know, and, and I got involved when I was 29, 30. So I probably look about 60 years old by now, you know, because of... <laughs> One of the things that, that affected every football club, whether you're in the Premier League or non-league, was obviously the, the pandemic and the fact that seasons in, in certain divisions ended with points per game. Obviously, the Premier League managed to get restarted. And I know for Peterborough, that was incredibly controversial. You weren't shy in coming forward, which, again, I think fans do respect because it would be very easy to sort of toe the line and, and just stay away. How tough was that period of time for you as an owner over the piece because, albeit, yes, you wanted to get back playing football, but was there ever a worry that the finances could be so badly affected that you might not get back playing? Because I know so many clubs, obviously, we saw Bury and Macclesfield, there was a worry we could lose six or seven clubs. Were you worried at any point that that could be you as well? It, it was horrendous. And yes, people will criticise me for being a very public mouthpiece about playing on and keep going and get back to playing. And, and I stand by everything I said. You know, I, I, I don't know if people know about me, but I'm a real... Uh, data freak and I did a lot of study and I spoke to three different doctors respiratory doctor ex experts in respiratory viruses and I wanted to know you know is this a danger to players playing out and they, every one of them was like no athletes outside breathing in the open air you know around a respiratory virus there is no danger you're going to lose an athlete from COVID and I think since I've been Sky had me on talk everyone wanted to talk to me because I was the guy saying hey you know yeah we don't know enough about this but we know enough that these sports people aren't going to drop dead, you know, from COVID and playing. And if there's no fans, why can't they play without fans, you know, after the, the month had gone by? So, um, and obviously since then I've been proved right. You, you've seen, you know, how many people in sports have had to leave sports or not in the world anymore due to COVID. So, and I'm not taking COVID lightly. I was of the mind of like everyone else at the start, geez, I'm going to lose the club, the business. We're all worried about how contagious this is and how deadly it was because at the time we didn't know the true statistics do you know what I mean what happens you know in the different age groups with COVID so we know so much more now but then it was basically after the first six weeks right plan B mode plan C mode now you got to keep a club going now you got to be able to pay wages you've got no income coming in you've got nothing on the horizon the government ain't going to help you out you know they don't give a shit about football you know they, they bailed out the national art industry they bailed out rugby I believe they bailed out other industries but they thought well the Premier League can look after you lots so of fuck off so bar furlough which really didn't do much for clubs because you had wages to pay. You know, furlough is a small amount of money. You're, you're paying a player five grand a week. Trust me, furlough wasn't covering his wages. And, and, you know, you still had to pay the balance. Otherwise, your player could walk off his contract for free. So then you're asking players, right, okay, we need pay freezes. We need wages deferred. We need to, de what can we defer here? Can we defer PAYE payments, tax payments? Can we defer VAT? Then you got a tax man who's like, well, we'll allow the PAYE for a couple of months. No, you got to pay your VAT. Um, players, well, we don't want to take a pay cut. But we'll take a pay deferral of 25%, but you've got to pay it back in three months. So there's all these uncertainties. So the first thing I did was me and my partners, I organized for us to have a Zoom call with every employee of the club, foundation, the academy, the main club, everybody. And my message was clear to everyone. My mission throughout the pandemic at the start was get us back playing so we could win that promotion. My biggest mission was make sure none of you lose your jobs. So during the pandemic, after the pandemic, you're not losing your jobs. And my partners backed me up in that and we came through it and no one lost their jobs. And then the final thing was I want to get you back to work. You know, so I want everyone to relax. Don't worry, don't stress. We're in it together. We are in it together. 
And hey, we might have to take a few losses here with pay deferrals and pay cuts, and maybe we might be late paying, which we never were. But I was just trying to be really transparent and honest with everybody who was terrified to fuck. And you got like, I've got hundreds of little faces on Zoom. So I had to kind of give the rallying speech, you know, at that point. And I told them all I'd fight my hardest to get us back playing. I knew most of the league didn't want to play, particularly those who weren't going up, those who weren't going down. They didn't want the hassle. But I just felt, you know, the way the game was, the champ were going to come back, the Prem were coming back. We had nine games to go. We'd invested a lot of time, effort and money in our staff as well in getting promoted that season. And we were the most informed team in the country. And we had six out of nine games at home and we were four points off second place. Um, you know, and we were in the playoffs with the team below us with a game in hand. So by the time all the votes came in and the shakeup came, we got fucked and we got thrown into seventh place. And I just, yeah, it wasn't good. You know, I wasn't in a good place over the whole thing. And then we knew about the following season, no fans for the whole season was going to be pretty much the outcome. And I was just enraged by, call it revenge, call it whatever you want. I just wanted us to win that promotion and fuck off all the people who'd like voted, you know, against playing. So a lot of people would be like, yeah, but you're risking lives. You're doing it. I knew there was never a risk of any life of our players going back playing. There was never that. I fought then for the EFL to go out and factor 200, 300 million to get us through a period of time from the TV deals. And obviously the Premier League finally stepped up. It was months and months later and it still wasn't enough to help. I fought for the government to give us more. They didn't give a shit. Um, they kept taking away our income, but they weren't helping. Um, so yeah, it was a tough period. My health's paying for it now, I reckon. You know, I haven't been great for a few months. It's true, I haven't been great, you know. And, and I think a lot of it was the 18 months of COVID, the stresses, the business, everything that was going on, trying to win that promotion, having the one stolen from us. But it's what it is. You know, at the end of the day, we won a promotion during the worst pandemic in 100 years. No fans, you know, no financial support. We did it by selling our best player. We funded the promotion by selling him. I broke a record outside the Premier League for selling a player during a pandemic. Um, so from that perspective, it all worked out really well. So, but it was tough. And like I said to you, yeah, fucking, I'm still paying for the toughness of it now, you know? So, yeah. In terms of selling that player in Ivan Tony, he's clearly went on to have an incredible impact at Brentford, um, the yeah. Championship and the Premier League. Forgive me for this question. It might be con uh, confidential, so you might not be able to disclose it. Was Ivan very close to joining Celtic? Obviously, I'm based in Scotland. There was a lot of chat up here. Was it close enough to say that it could have happened? So, obviously, I don't want Celtic fans coming at me and hammering me or whatever else, but um, somebody who was with Celtic, who's not there anymore to do recruitment, went down and met Barry and came all the way down to England. And we knew at the point we were selling Ivan and we had Brentford, we had a few other clubs. We spoke to Premier League clubs, the usual snobbery. Yeah, League One, not sure. We knew this kid could play as high as you like. I mean, he'd, he'd have scored 50 goals in Scotland, you know what I mean? With, with all due respect to the level. I mean, he's just, because of his physicality and all the attributes, you know what I mean? And it was, the offer was just like, nah, forget about it. You know, you're wasting your time. And then it was the usual speech, which you hear sometimes from clubs that side of the border because they can sign players, you know, without compensation. Well, you know, he's only got a year left on his contract, so we just wait till January, six months, and we'll sign him then. It's like, listen, fuck off. You know, you either want to buy him or you don't. And trust me, this boy is uh, a difference maker. Now, as it turned out, look, Celtic don't need Ivan Tony. I guess you need good players, but they have their own way of doing things, and they have good transfer business. And you've seen with Edward going to Palace, you know, they pluck good players. But obviously they felt a player arriving in League One, there was no way they were ever going to even get near the deal we were doing with other clubs. 
Um, so we left it from there, you know, and that was that. And, and to be fair, never quite been able to do a deal with Celtic over the years. You know, they came in for Lee Tomlin years ago. You know, it's never quite worked out between us. But, hey, we all we all have our way of doing it. I tried to buy a player from Rangers in the summer and I had the same issue. You know, I've never really struck it well with, with Scotland trying to do business with clubs there. So it's never been a great hunting ground for my recruitment process, you know. And uh, But, hey, is what it is. And uh, there's a lot of good players there. Just on the recruitment of the club, you have managed to sell um, players on for good fees over the years, particularly forward players. I've got the list in front of me. Britisson Malonga, Ivan Tony, Dwight Gale, obviously Ryan Bennett centre-back, Jack Marriott, Connor Washington, Craig McHale-Smith. You think years ago with the likes of um, Aaron McLean, who was another um, exceptional player for the football club as well. How do you how do you structure your recruitment to get so many gems? Because Peterborough seemed to be a club traditionally over the last 10 or 15 years that you know will sign a player and will probably go for a good profit. And that's been shown by that list and plenty more that I've not mentioned. So when I bought the club, I, I instilled a lot of stuff I did with my own business outside of the club. Um, and that was young and hungry people. I like to go after waifs and strays, uh, the forgotten, the dismissed, people who had talent, but it hadn't been realised. And I kind of took that same way I did it with my real estate business and I took it into football. And I looked at it and I, I sat down, I'm very data-driven. And I went, well, okay, we're in League Two. What if we went out and got the best player one league below age 17 to 23? Because that's a great age demographic mentally for people to develop and get better. Sometimes you go above 23, your odds drop on, on changing bad habits. So I looked at all of it and said, that's how we've got to recruit. We've got to get the best wave strays, dismiss people, people who've been released by academies, people who've been maybe dumped by your Arsenal's, your United's, your Celtics, your Rangers, falling down the system. Now they've got a fire in their belly. If you can find it and ignite it, you know, that they, they get going again. There was a reason they were in those academies in the first place. They obviously have some technical talent. So there are all those little things that come together. And can we polish a gem who has a wrong attitude or a bad attitude? And can we help them grow up and mature? Because a lot of youngsters, maybe they feel that in the big time when they're in a big academy and they saunter around the place and they get a bit too arrogant and a bit too big, you know, above their station. And then they get released. And sometimes they still have that attitude with them. So you need to like smack it out of them. And get them going again so it's down to us it's down to the manager it's down to how we coach the players myself and Baz do the recruitment obviously um we've never changed the way we recruited and we obviously have a very good hit rate for what we do with young players and then it's down to the players themselves to buy into everything that we put on a plate for them you know they have to go out there and do it and whether it's a Jack Marriott or an Ivan Tony or a Gale or an Asamba Longa or a Lee Tomlin they have to go out and provide the business and we hope in the meantime, whether with us two years or three years, that we have success. And then they go, and then we use the funds for the club, the infrastructure, and to get a replacement. So now we've, we've, we've slightly tilted and adjusted that, where we've now gone cat two at our youth academy. We've spent a lot of money, you know, getting us in that position. My partner's played a big part in that. And, and we're looking at our academy producing some terrific young talent. And we've got a couple of England youngsters that are in the under-20 England teams. And, you know, going to be some players, that's for sure. So... We're very excited about marrying up the current transfer policy with the new recruitment away from the academy, improving those players, getting them in the team. We have an under-23 team that got some unbelievably young players. You know, regardless of our results in the champ, we're very, very positive about what's to come. So very excited about it. I've got to ask you about um, Barry Fry in particular. He's, he's a caricature to some Legend. people and massive Legend. character, but you don't spend the amount of time that he has in football if you don't have an eye for a player if you don't have the hunger and the desire. Oh, What's it like to work he, with on a daily basis? Because as I say, some people see him as a fun figure in a caricature, yeah. but he's much more than that. It has to be uh, if he's no. been in the game so long. 
he's brilliant. He's a legend. He's, he's part of my family. At 77, 78, he's like a 30, 40-year-old. He's bubbly. Yeah, there's all the character TV stuff. And, oh, here's Baz. And, yeah, nah, nah. But no, I mean, he's, he's shrewd. He's, he's, he's clever. We work so well together. You know, he, he could be starting a deal. I'll finish a deal and vice versa. That's how well in sync we are together and what we do. You know, I was on the phone to him before I spoke to you for an hour about January and about this. And, you know, that, that's, that's, how we, that's how we operate as a club. In two seconds. So, so he is, you know, he's inspiring for everyone out there. I mean, if he stopped working tomorrow, I'd, I'd hate to think what would happen. His energy is just all from football. His power source comes from being in the game. And there's nobody in football, fans, directors, players, who doesn't know Barry Fry. Um, and his, his Rolodex, you'd say from years ago, reaches so far. Uh, and, that's, and that's, you know, he's one of those guys who will be, be around forever. I'm, I'm pretty sure of it. It's like a scene from Cocoon, the movie, we're all jumping in the family youth, you know, and um, he's just that guy. But he's so lovable, unbelievable. Now, in saying that, we've had our rocks on our rounds, but that's healthy. You know, that, that's, that's what works between us. And, and yeah, it's just a great system. And, uh, yeah, I'm always excited to talk to him, good or bad. Your current manager, of course, is, is Darren Ferguson. You've worked with Darren on numerous occasions, not something you see all football clubs. How would you describe your working relationship with him through the years? Because clearly there must be something there again if he's been back a few times. Yeah, we've been married three times now. And, um, <laughs> you know, we never broke up because one of us left each other uh, for someone else. Um, and I think I guess our relationship and our marriage has got stronger over time. And he's always someone, even when we didn't work together, I still spoke to, um, you know, and had the odd fling with, you know, in between. So, you know, that that's how I would like marry it up. It's it's like that one great love of yours, maybe that you, you break up a few times early on. And as you get older and more mature, you understand what makes each other tick. So we're very in unison. He's very underrated. He's a manager who I said it yesterday. I was on an EFL thing and I just said that. His record over the last 15 years, five promotions, an EFL trophy at Wembley, you know, the things he's done, managing in the championship, all the player transfers that we've been involved in together, he doesn't get the credit. And that stands up against a lot of managers outside the Premier League. And he never gets the opportunity at a maybe a bigger club, like some other managers who've kind of been flashing the pans. They've never won anything, but they keep getting big job opportunities. So, but he's now very settled. He's very comfortable with his own skin. He's got a lovely family. They're very settled near Peterborough. And, you know, we've just got a very honest relationship. And again, we were speaking earlier. You know, if he rang me tomorrow and said, the Leeds job came up, the Celtic job came up, the Rangers job came up, you know, I would hate to lose him, but I would never want to stand in his way of like a brilliant job like that, you know? So, no, terrific, terrific manager. And, and you know, under the shadow of his dad early on, you know, you're a big United fan. So you can appreciate how difficult that must be for someone, but he stands out on his own and, and, I've been fortunate to spend a lot of time with his dad, particularly in August and September. His dad came down for like two, three weeks. So, you know, after a game, you know, I remember one game, we lost to Plymouth 4-0. And I went down, I was with Sir Alex, the, you know, the gaffer. And I was with him for an hour before the manager came in with the staff to his office. And we were just like, and we, we couldn't stop chuckling when Darren came in. He was like, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. He was like angry, angry because we'd lost 4-0. And there's me and his old man just laughing, you know what I mean, about because what you're trying to do is you're trying to relax him. You know, look, it's not the end of the world. Yes, it wasn't good. However, you, you know, come back off that pedestal where your head's going to explode because sometimes the best, the best time as a chairman to be there for your manager isn't with a pat on the backs when you win. It's when things aren't going well. And, 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 and they're, the, they're the key times. And that's where a good manager appreciates, appreciates a good 
director of football, a good chairman, a good owner, you know what I mean, that they're there for you when things are like kind of going shit. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you about the independent regulator in the chat around that. Um, Gary Neville, of course, I know you've spoken to him in Sky numerous times, very passionately outlined his arguments for an independent regulator in Monday Night Football recently. Where do you stand on some of the suggestions? I know they've talked about maybe salary caps, um, parachute payments being scrapped for more funding, or whether it would be more, I don't quite know, but that's the, that's the sort of talk that's there. Where do you stand? Well, I've never turned down more money for our club, that's for sure. Um, you know, the percentages and the way it's paid out is not great, but we obviously the paymasters of the Premier League. Um, I'm not sure a regulator is going to come in and tell them what to do. It's very difficult, you know, because you don't want to see a Barry, you don't want to see... Wigan's getting in trouble. You don't want to see a Derby County in a position you're in at the moment. And there's bad, bad mismanagement, bad ownership has happened to a lot of these clubs. And I understand the appeal of having a regulator to, to enforce rules to stop these things happening. And I understand fans own clubs ultimately, but also the ownerships who put in the money, pay the wages, you know, like myself, like other people, you know, suddenly get a regulator in and say it's government approved, who are suddenly telling you what to do in your own business. It, it, it's a really, really difficult. It's a grey area. There's no black and white here. It's very grey. Um, you know, years ago, I said my idea would be the EFL always has their own administrator and their own director of football who go in whenever a club's in trouble and take over and run a club until it's sold. And we'd have a pot of money to do that and make sure. And that way, then it would protect against administration. It would protect against administrators getting paid stupid money. It would protect against clubs selling players for rock bottom prices because they couldn't afford to pay wages next month. You know, if the EFL steady a ship and do that for each club until it's sold and then get paid back when it's sold, you wouldn't have as many clubs in trouble. So there are ways of, of fixing this. Am I sure a regulator is the ultimate way if it's going to cause just a massive fallout between the Premier League and the EFL? I'm not sure. So it's a bit, like I said, it's just a real grey area. But I am all for anything that brings more governance in to make sure clubs don't go under, to make sure that we're not overpaying players, to make sure fans aren't getting ripped off in the, in the turnstiles. So... Anything can improve all of those things to make sure agents aren't taking silly money out of the game. Anything that can improve those things, I'm all for. One of the things, obviously, that has been mentioned as part of that, as I said, was a salary cap. Now, I'm just going to give you my opinion on it. I think, personally, you own Peterborough. If you want to put in all of your money, as you've said, and go from multi-millionaire to millionaire, that's your decision, in my opinion. As long as you don't bankrupt the club doing that, you should be allowed to do it. So... Do you believe that that should be the case or is a salary cap the inevitable uh, thing in football? Uh, I love the salary cap we brought in League One two years ago and then it got kicked out in court or whatever else. But we we were under the provide we could only spend it was three million pounds. This is how you do it. Put me up against everyone else recruitment-wise. I feel I can beat anyone. You know, I'm up against Sunderland. I'm up against Ipswich. I feel like the business, you know, we all have the same amount we can spend. I feel I can do better than them. Put me up against the club with... 50,000 people coming through the turnstiles every week and being able to offer someone 20 grand a week and, you know, putting other clubs in jeopardy because they have to overdo it financially. That's why I always like the salary cap. You know, I, it's one of the positive things I like from America and the NFL. Everyone has, that's your pot. That's what you can spend. Go and spend it or don't spend it. And if you overspend it, you're in trouble. So I, I just feel it gets carried away sometimes. And COVID's thought us that, you know, shit, we've got to be careful here. You know, like some of my fans were moaning that we didn't sign experienced players in the summer on 15 grand a week in the championship. Well, you know, the flip side to that is one 15 grand a week player would be like 30% of our wage bill in League One for one player over the age of 30. Do you know how dangerous that is for a football club? So they're not risks I'm willing to take with the future of our football club. I, I, 
I always want to be able to pay our wages. You know, I always want to do things right. So <laughs> I get people go, well, a Saudi prince or a Russian oligarch or a lottery winner wants to come in and they want to just take the club to the top. Okay, great. No problem. I can't tell you how to run your club, but just tread carefully, <laughs> you know, and, and, and because we don't want that to turn into in two years time, that club has a triple relegation and ends up out of business, you know, so tread carefully when you're doing that. So again, I'm up for anything that will improve the way we operate as an industry. I'm up for anything that can come in to stop other clubs going into trouble and stop clubs getting hit with points tallies. And, you know, you look at the Derby situation where you owe the tax man 30 million, if that's the figure to be believed. And it's, it's, it's horrible. And I hate seeing stuff like that. And I know we're not doing great in the champ position wise and clubs around us have had points taken off. I, I, I don't want to do well in the champ based on other clubs having points deducted. I just, I just think it's wrong. And, and so again, we have to tread carefully and we have to do it till in the age of COVID now more than ever, we have to be prudent. Absolutely. Last couple of questions I've sure. got for you. Um, in terms of the, the future of the club, what, what do you see in the next five years if we can somehow get to a stage where COVID restrictions or regulations can finally go to the side and we can get back to, to some sort of normal? What, what do you want to see in the next five years or so? You know, I, I just want to see progress. I want to see growth. You know, I want to see as we bought our stadium back. You know, we did a lot of things during the pandemic clubs wouldn't do. We won a promotion. We bought our stadium for like five million quid and we created our academy from Cat 3 to Cat 2 by spending 1.7 million on a dome. So we've done it all that during COVID. So what I want to see from us is I want to see us eventually move to a new stadium. I want to see us grow our crowd base from, you know, in the champ of 10 to 15,000. I want to see a new generation of fans. My partners have done a fans initiative through the schools that's creating the next generation of fans. I want our academy to produce the best young English talent that's going to go on and play in the Premier League, hopefully for England, Scotland, Ireland, whoever. And I want to be not the guy who's known as a loudmouth or loved or hated. I want to be the guy who's always run a football club really well. That, that's my legacy, you know, that regardless of what people think about me, actually, he actually ran his football club really, really well, really responsibly. And hell, yeah, there were ups, there were downs, there were promotions, there were relegations, there were cup wins. But you know what? He never missed paying his, his staff. And, and that's the one big thing you can say. So that's what I want over the next five years. And I want some exciting football. I want goals. You know, I, I want to see us establish ourselves in this league. I want to see us turn into a top 12 championship football club. And then maybe in five years' time, we can have that one lucky Blackpool run or one lucky Huddersfield run and have a shot at the title and look at the promised land because it's been done by clubs like us. So who's to say you can't do it? Absolutely. And the last question I've got for you, it's been in the press again recently a lot about younger players in the Premier League at these elite academies should maybe consider going on loan more often. What is the reality in your experience? Because, again, it's very easy for fans to say so-and-so at Manchester United, Manchester City and Liverpool should go to a Peterborough or a Doncaster or whoever it might be. But the reality is that these clubs still want wages paid and sometimes substantial loan fees. They do, pal. And as you go up the leagues, it gets more expensive. And another rule I wanted to bring in, I stood up in an EFL meeting and said, look, we all have to block out the Premier League here until they agree to the following. We're not going to do any more loans until you agree that in League 2, £700 a week is the maximum we'll pay for your player. You pay their digs. And in League 1, £1,500 a week is the maximum. Other than that, we're, we're closed. You ain't sending any more players. And I said, if we all do that through one window, trust me, by the following window, they'll be begging us to take their players because they'll have nowhere to go. Under 23 football is fucking shit, you know, uh, from a standard point of view for these players to develop in the Premier League. It's okay for your 17-year-olds, your 18-year-olds, 
But eventually, after a year of it, you're 19 and 20 and 21 year olds, they gotta go out and play in the EFL. They gotta go out and earn their spurs. They gotta go out and get kicked. They gotta go out and get sent off. They gotta go out and score goals, make goals. So we've seen so many players in the England team that recent success come from EFL loans, you know, being out there and doing it. So for the Premier League to embrace this and make it better, they have to stand it up and stop trying to charge it. We got quoted in the summer. There was a 19-year-old we went after, and he was on 50 grand a week. And we got we got we got quoted 15 grand a week to bring him in. It's like, no, 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 out of principle. Even if I had more money than whoever, no. Like, no, it's wrong. And what on earth is a 19-year-old doing on 50 grand a week who's never actually played in the Premier League? Like, what are we doing here? You know, so. I worry about the young people, you know, I'm all right with somebody who's broken into a team, who's played 20-odd Premier League games, who's making an impact, who's a hot teenager in the Premier League, you know, Jude Bellingham. I'm all right with a Jude Bellingham on his 30, 40, 50 grand a week because he's, he's played nearly 100 games already at 18. Absolutely, he deserves it. But if a Jude Bellingham is playing under-23s football and he's never playing, like, in the first team and he's on 50 grand a week, I'm, I'm concerned for him, you know, because... What happens with these youngsters? You get too much too soon. You know, the money will come, you know, but really we've got to be careful here. So, and that goes hand in hand with the Premier League who, you know, we, we want a player from a club on loan in January and we've been quoted, uh, he's on tens a week and we've offered two and the club's arguing with us about it. Player's never been out on loan. Never been on loan. So now he can come and play in the championship and play 25 games from January to the summer. Is the 25 games worth more than the four round a week difference they're arguing about? I mean, ask yourself the question. If he comes and he does amazing for us and suddenly he gets in their team and they sell him for 50 million, did we play a part? You know, Brighton gave us Ben White when we were in League One. Brilliant Brighton. They did a real good deal for us. You know, he came in, did brilliant for us off the back of doing brilliant for us. Leeds took him the following season. He then went back to Brighton and sold him for 50 million. So our part was played in that. Brighton did right by us by not charging us his full wages. We paid probably 15% of his wages at the time. And it was the right thing. And Brighton were just, there was no argument with Brighton. All they were concerned was, you know, his health. Is he going to play? How is he? It was the right way of doing it. It wasn't about, well, no, we want his full wages paid. No, we want a hotel. And he's got to be in a penthouse. And is his car getting cleaned on a Monday? And, you know, all the fucking nonsense that goes with it. So you want you youngsters to be the real deal play games and whatever else, stop wiping their arse, get them out there and make it affordable for all clubs in the Champ League, One League Two, and even top and non-league to take these players and make them men. Brilliant. As, as always, you're, you're incredibly upfront and honest and as, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for doing this, Dara. Always, pal. Listen, God bless you. Have a great Christmas with the family. And as I said, send my love to Phil and uh, I'll, I'll speak to you in the new year. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave